Welcome to the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast, a southern harmony of bold, liberating rock, soaked through with blues, soul, and gospel. And now, your hosts for the show, Brian Jones and Jeremy Hunsaker. Welcome back to the second episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast. We've got one under our belts now, and we want to thank everybody for listening and joining us again. Uh, we're over the moon that we've got this podcast, and it's been launched, and we'll discuss that and add a few fun uh, segments uh, before we get to our, our guests this week. But first, as always, I'm not alone. I've got a co-host. He's a bass player. He's a bass player for Driving Wheel. He knows more about the Black Crows than anyone I know. He once traded camel lights for Heineken's with the badass Eddie Harsh. So here he is, Jeremy Hunsker. How you doing, Jeremy? Uh, I am having a good time tonight, that's for sure. I hope everybody else is as well. We've got a hell of a show for you today. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Always, always happy to be here. So uh, you've... Uh, had a little trouble with your turntable you were telling me earlier, which is kind of a good segue into this uh, new segment we've got for you. And that'll be Jeremy's Vinyl Ventures, uh, followed up by Trader's Corner. Jeremy, why don't you tell us about, uh, you know, these uh, bootlegs that you got? I got all kinds of bootlegs. Nope. <laughs> yeah, um We'll uh we'll uh we'll start it off with the uh with the vinyl ventures and uh, then we'll segue into the bootlegs and then we will check out what's going on with Mr. Joe Winters of the Steepwater Band. Our vinyl picks of the week, my number one pick, uh, Steepwater Band, Turn of the Wheel. If you don't have it, pick it up. It's a great record. Um, I consider myself a bit of an audiophile, not to the point where I'm listening to my gear more than the music like the music's always number one but uh every time I, I pull out a record and when i get a new record and i pull it out of the sleeve i look at the dead wax and i see you know where it was mastered and uh steve waterman gets her records mastered by a guy named carl saff in chicago and anytime i see his name in the dead wax I'm, I'm ecstatic and thrilled because I know it's going to be a great sounding record. Like sonically, it's going to be fantastic. And this is no exception. Uh, the songs are great. The performances are great. The, the sonics are great. It's just a, a, a well, well-pressed, well-thought-out rockin' record. Uh, can't say enough good things about it. Um, so that's number one, Turn of the Wheel by the Steepwater Band. Um, number two... Um, I recently picked up the White Stripes reissue of De Style, their second album. I got the Vinyl Me Please um, variant, which uh, was actually pressed at Third Man Records on splatter, like red and black splattered vinyl. Sounds amazing. Um, and Vinyl Me Please is like one of those um, subscription services, you know, like uh, you uh, subscribe to it and you get a different record each month or whatever. But to me, they're the best. Um, a lot of their stuff is done uh, at Sterling Sound, is cut at Sterling Sound by Ryan K. Smith. And then now they have their records pressed at QRP in Salina, Kansas, which is one of the best places to have it pressed. Um, so I can't say enough good things about Vinyl Me Please and this month's pick of uh, Dish Style. 
by the White Stripes, which also uh, has uh, a killer version of uh, Blind Willie McTell's Your Southern Can Is Mine, uh, cover of Sunhouse, Death Letter Blues. Um, so for like that raw garage, punky blues, it doesn't get any better than the White Stripes to style. So those are my vinyl picks of the week. Right on, right on. So what do you got for us on Trader's Corner this week? <laughs> well, I've got a few different things. Um, a friend of mine, Jenna, actually, uh, she sent me a fish show uh, from September 2nd of 2018. And I've had to play that one a couple times because it's pretty smoking. Um, and uh, there's a group on Facebook, the Very Black Crows uh, group, who is uh, moderated by Jake Howard. And uh, he put up a drive-by truckers show from the Red Rocks uh, 2006 when they were opening for the Crows. And Mark Ford sits in on Buttholeville. Um, so it was really cool to relive that. I was at that show. Um, and, like, it almost I, – I, at that point, I was actually standing by our guest's uh, wife before she was his wife. I was standing uh, at the top of Red Rocks with her watching Mark Ford sit in with the drive-by truckers during that so that was cool to relive that and so keeping with the mark ford sit-in theme uh i downloaded a show from i think it's 2008 at red rocks uh with widespread panic and mark ford sitting in on that they do the band song the shape i'm in and he plays on um plays on a panic song too so uh i've just kind of been getting like um, a little all over the place with my music this week but uh those shows have definitely uh, been getting some play um a little bit of mark ford set in so what would you what do you what would you say for you would you consider legendary show or legendary bootleg you know stuff that circulates out there um legendary like uh well i mean it depends on the band uh we've got we're gonna have a guest on uh in a forthcoming show i'll, I'll kind of give a little spoiler alert uh daryl hance who's a founding member of mofro um, you can go on archive.org and you can, uh, check out a show from 2002, JJ Gray and Mofro at the Boom Boom Room in San Francisco. One of the hottest bootlegs or, uh, recording of independent origin or whatever you want to call it. Um, it's one of the hottest things I've ever heard in my life. Like literally a band firing on all cylinders on fire. Uh, George Slepic, who was the original drummer in CRB, was the drummer in Mofro at that time. Um, and, and it's just, it's all killer and no filler. And, and we'll we'll check that show out, and uh, then we'll be able to talk to Daryl a little bit about that and kind of have him give us his thoughts, because I know for a fact he remembers that show. So um, that's, that's a really good one. Um, as far as the Black Crows, um, you got to go with, uh, with the classics. The Supper Club show from 96 um the uh the two uh missouri shows from october anything from october 96 really but um st louis on october 1st and kansas city october 2nd not just because i was at those shows but because they're smoking performances and they circulate in a pristine soundboard quality um absolutely classic there uh the las vegas 96 and then of course the entire further run. I know Krista has been posting in the uh, Very Black Crows group uh, 
every day, you know, because we're hitting the anniversary of the uh, further run right now. It was July of 97. And uh, those shows, great sit-ins, Bob Weir, Bruce Hornsby, Dave Ellis, uh, Yorma Kalkinen, you know, those guys, they're legends. And, uh, and the set list of those shows and the playing was, I mean, the Crows were at their apex. And it was a shame that that was like the end of it. But it always seemed like that's what they did, you know, uh, with Mark or whatever. Like they were just getting better and better and better, and then whoop, it's over. And they did the same thing in 06, you know, 05 and 06. It just got better and better and better, and then it was done. That's always the story. You know, like I mentioned to uh, my buddy Kev, our first episode, he's got a bunch of further shows. He sent some to me, and I, I just get, like, stacks of CDs from him, and I you know, it kind of get that uh, getting around to that kind of gets delayed and stuff to see what's in there. And he, he's got more, you know, I saw one, uh, one night you had posted on, you know, on Facebook, a Grateful Dead show, I believe uh, from the Capitol theater in 77, if I got that correct. Yes. Yeah. I have that on vinyl. It's fantastic. Wow. What a great show. All right. Yeah. I mean, if I had a time machine, think about places you would go, you know, so. Oh, yeah, uh, India, uh, Europe 72, uh, any of those shows I would be ecstatic to be at. And, of course, the spring of 77, just an amazing run from the dead. Um, if you can get a hold of any of those shows, I highly recommend it. Um, Steepwater Band has got a bunch of shows on archive.org. A few of them I taped and a few of them I sat in on with them. One of them from the Broadway Oyster Bar in 2016. I forgot I'd even jammed with them at that show. They played uh, Get Your Yaya's out in its entirety, and apparently I got up and played bass on Stop Breaking Down, and I have zero recollection of that happening. <laughs> so, but the, the recordings there and the tapes don't lie. So, um, Got a bunch of cool Blackberry Smoke shows up on archive. Uh, one of them, I'll tell the story. It's pretty cool. Uh, we, they played at the Granada in Lawrence in uh, September of 2014. And I was there. Uh, my best friend was married to Paul Jackson's cousin. So I actually had dinner with Paul Jackson before the show and his family and stuff. And then, of course, they gave me like soundboard access and all that. And I recorded the show. And the next day they were playing where I live in Columbia at the Roots and Blues and Barbecue Festival. And the thing was, was my band was playing the same festival, like a mile away at the other side of the festival, like at the same time that they were playing. So it's kind of miffed, you know, that I was like, man, I want to go see Blackberry Smoke, you know, and I got to play my show. So I devised a way to tape this show and like I just totally winged it. I loaded my gear up and I uh, drove, I had my blazer and I drove down to where their stage was and they were like, you know, dead guards there and people waving people off who were trying to go the wrong way or whatever. And I just pulled up to him and acted real panicked. And I, Cause I kind of was, I was like, man, I got to get to Blackberry stages uh, or Blackberry smoke stage. I got to get there right now. I got to get set up. And they looked at me and they looked at all the gear in my truck and they were like, all right, come on through. And they just waved me <laughs> through. And, and I just right pulled on. right, right to the back of the stage. And I went out to the soundboard cage and I set my recording gear up. And I was just prayed. I was like, well, I hope the levels are good, you know, and that it's not going to be too loud because you can kind of salvage a recording that's a little quiet. But if it's too loud and it's peaked and distorted, there's nothing really you can do. So I set the recording gear up, just hit record, uh, talked to Richard Turner for a little bit, you know, and he had his 
acoustic 360, 361s out on both sides of the stage. He was real proud of that. So he had to talk to me about that. Um, I remember, and I was like, all right, well, Richard, I got to go play my set. So you guys have a good set. And he was like, cool, man, later. And uh, so I went and we were sound checking and I walked out uh, the back of the stage where we were sound checking and I could hear Blackberry smoke. And it was like bouncing off of the building that was behind our stage. Like the sound was reflecting. I'm like, oh, they're so fucking loud. You know, <laughs> the recording's going to be crap. And I was like, oh, no. And uh, I had my buddy Cody, who's actually in Driving Well Now, was at the Blackberry Smoke stage, and Los Lobos played after. So I got that Los Lobos set, too. And he got my recorder, and I got it back from him. And I was like, all right, you know, and I kind of said a quick play- prayer and hit play. And it sounded phenomenal, you know. I was like, oh, wow, I got a great recording of Blackberry Smoke from Recent Blues and Barbecue 2014. So you can go on archive.org and listen to that show. I'm really... That's like one of my proudest taping moments because I had to get so much done to pull it off and, and still hope and pray and by hook or by crook that it came out okay. And it did. It came out great. So. We'll always enjoy your stories about that. Really cool. Adventure, very, very cool. Adventures in bootlegging. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. Well, we had a really great conversation uh, with our guest uh, Mr. Joe Winters, drummer of the Steepwater Band, very much enjoyed that conversation. <laughs> Got any yeah. comments for us before we go into this? Um, Joe's just a very, very great person. I love him. I love his wife, Angela. They're they're great people. The Steepwater Band, great band, great guys. Um, I, I can't appreciate Joe coming on and being so open and forthright. And telling us, and then these, you know, I can I can attest these stories aren't made up for the fact that he's pretty much told them to me verbatim personally uh, before years ago, and uh, and I was there for some of it too. So I mean, he's this is accurate, and for people who are into the Black Crows, who are into the Steepwater Band, who are into Government Mule and into Blackberry Smoke, this is going to be a a fantastic interview, and it's a great way to kick off our very first special guest on the All Things blues and southern rock podcast and with that we'll go to our special guest mr joe winters from the Steepwater band joining us today on the uh, all things blues and southern rock podcast we got a very special guest here drummer from the Steepwater band mr joe winters how you doing joe i'm doing great how about you guys i'm doing good how you doing jeremy i am fantastic Awesome, awesome. <laughs> uh, most obvious question right away is, like, how are you doing with the quarantine and not being able to get out there and play? Yeah, it's it's been tough for sure. You know, I've been playing gigs nonstop for about 20 years with Steepwater Band, and uh, sometimes as many as, like, 150 a year. So this is more time at home than I've had for sure since about 2005 far as consecutive time um you know it's been nice to catch up and be at home with my wife and and whatnot we just got a new house and uh back in november we just moved into this house so it was nice to have a little bit of time to have do some projects and hang around but in general um i'm definitely ready to get moving and i know it's not necessarily the thing that can happen immediately but um 
been pretty pretty uh, boring at, at times, and and definitely financially financially a little straining as far as I haven't made a dime in about three and a half months, and that's the first time in my adult life, you know, in like thirty years that I've I've haven't haven't had any income in three and a half months. So uh, I definitely am ready for life to come back to all of us for sure. How about you guys? Well, I'm fortunate that I'm, I guess I'm considered an essential. I work, uh, work in a deli in a grocery store, so people got to eat. So I've been, uh, I've been fortunate to still get a paycheck. Definitely wow. feel for that, that don't. Well, thanks for being out there on the front lines, as crazy as it sounds to be thanking people to be on the front lines at a grocery store or any kind of food industry service, man, we need you. So thanks, Brian. Really. Oh, you're welcome. I don't know about the front lines, but, you know, for the, you know, for the emergency workers out there and the police and the firemen and our medical people, like that's, I really thank them as well. So, um, yeah, for sure. So, uh, let's talk about the, the latest release, Turn of the Wheel. Uh, an album we both, uh, Jeremy and I really love. I'd love the, you know, the intro, the for, uh, first, first track on the, on the album is great. Talk about it, the making of that and how you feel about it. Well, we made a really strong record. I think we were coming off a really difficult time in the band's history. Our manager had passed away last October of 19. He was our manager pretty much for the better part of the last 15 years. And uh, our bass player had decided to move, move on after being an original member and being there for over 20 years. He, took off so we were kind of up against the wall a little bit and uh we we just kind of wrote a bunch of songs and went to my brother's house with a bunch of great microphones and pro tools hd and kind of winged it really a lot much in the same way we made our 2006 record revelation sunday that everyone loved and uh we just we had no money we were in a lot of debt as a band and called my brother just kind of like hey our backs are against the wall and we need a record to get back on tour to get back to europe and go on tour and do all the things the fun things that we've been doing as a band and where we've been really building our our business which is mostly in europe and uh but our promoters over there weren't going to bring us unless we had a new record so called my brother jim and just said hey you got any interest in trying to get us a record and and We've got these songs we've been banging around at sound checks and cause we don't really rehearse too much. We, we pretty much rehearse at sound check or, at, you know, at gigs we pull it cause we're always playing, but um, we had some songs and we all kind of contributed to them and um, went to my brother's house for two separate weekends and uh, banged it out last year in like April and May. And all indication is people are really seeming to respond to it. We're getting great feedback and I think it's, really strong record and thanks for the kind words on that brian appreciate being recognized on it two two of the standout tracks for me i really like the like i said the one on the end of side one was big pictures yeah uh yeah that's actually the first song on side two is it first song on side two big pictures um so what what's the last song on side one the one with the sax and the jam at the end yeah, that's not that's not the way that one's called. That one, yeah, that one too. And uh, please the believer, also. 
guys kind of hanging around. We we had that hanging around from uh, Shake Your Faith era, and for whatever reason, we did not. It didn't make it on Shake Your Faith. I don't know why, but it was kind of hanging around, and uh, um, and we started playing that one live when we got back to gigs. We took a break in 2018 because our former bass player decided that he didn't want to play that year, even though he was out playing with other people. But we don't need to get into that right now. Uh, and, um, so we took a break and when we came back with the new bass player, that song, please, the believer came into the set pretty right away. Even before we recorded it, we kind of started playing it just for something fresh to be playing. So, um, yeah, I love that tune too, Jeremy, for sure. Yeah. You guys kind of broke some new ground on this without, you know, without straying too far away from the established deep water sound, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. You know, for any band, I think that like you, as you make new records and you know this for all the years you've been doing it too, you're never going to make the same record or the sound's never going to stay exactly the same because you're, you're moving on as a person, you're being influenced by the, you know, whatever other music that you're coming into contact with or, or discovering old music or whatever it is, you're, you're finding new directions that you like that your, your tastes even go in sometimes. And, and so I, I do think that like, we kind of, we, we maybe return to like a little more of our roots, but at the same time kind of found some new, new ground as well. So um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's never been a formula. We've never had a, we have to write songs like this or do, try to sound like that or whatever it's, you know it's always just been kind of whatever riffs and songs and grooves and whatever come up at sound checks and rehearsals and jam sessions but um yeah definitely i think we we maybe found a few new crevices here to go go into perhaps oh, all right yeah. that sounds real good that you're really excited about that um like to talk about how the band formed. Of course, you and uh, singer guitarist Jeff Massey have been there from the beginning. Talk about how Steepwater formed. Um, our bass player Todd and myself were roommates in college, and we were actually in a more of a hard rock band in the early '90s. And we wanted, we were really getting into the Black Crows and all the bands that influenced the Black Crows, like the Rolling Stones and the Allman Brothers Band, and a lot of old blues music and we wanted to pretty much put it together like a blues band um we just wanted to go in that direction play more blues southern rock and uh we met jeff at a black crows concert in 2006 uh three snakes and one charm tour aragon ballroom chicago and he was with someone that he was trying to put a band get a band going with that was a keyboard player, singer, harmonica player guy. And uh, they needed a bass player at the time, but they didn't need a drummer. So long story long, they, they called Todd to come play some bass with them. And uh, before you know it, they had me coming to play drums. And then the three of us were kind of sneaking away to do our own band because maybe we wanted to do something a little more original. That was kind of like a blues band at the time in 06. And, uh, we wanted to write songs and kind of morphed Nin into that. 1996, Joe. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I know, right? 
Yeah, no, yeah. I'm sitting here saying 2006. No, that's like after the Crows broke up and reformed already. Yeah. Right. What am I? Three Snakes Tour, 1996. Wow, dude, we are all so old. Shh. Don't tell anybody. You gotta watch your you gotta watch your black rose facts with Jeremy here. Oh, he <laughs> oh for sure, for sure. He does. <laughs> so so and 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 a, a funny little thing that would be cool to mention is that that show in 1996 at the Aragon with the Crows obviously was like the classic lineup with Mark Ford on guitar. And um, about 12 years later, we found ourselves in a studio in California with Mark Ford producing our Grace and Melody record. And uh, you talk about things coming full circle. That was a pretty neat thing. In 2008, we recorded at the Compound Studio out in California, and Mark Ford produced the record. So, um, yeah, that was a pretty cool full circle thing to have happen for sure. That's a nice foreshadowing of one of my questions. Like, how did you guys meet Mark? How did that come about for him to be the producer of Grace and Melody? We were on tour in Spain, and we played a festival um in Sestao, Spain. And the lineup that night was Eric Sardinas and Mark Ford with his solo band in 2007. And uh with Muddy on bass, Elijah on guitar, a guy named Dennis on the drums. And uh um and so it was it was uh Eric Sardinas, Mark Ford, and then we headlined. So Mark kind of went on before us and uh we met them guys at the hotel and the actual way it, it happened was at the festival, we asked if they would play the song Currents from Mark's uh, Weary and Wired record. And Mark said he didn't have a guitar to, to go into that tuning to do that. So we offered up Jeff's Les, uh, Les Paul Goldtop and said Mark could play this and tune it however he wants if you guys will do currents so they accepted it they said cool and they i think muddy took the guitar and uh mark came out and tuned up jeff's guitar and played currents and a couple other songs on it and um after their set we were getting ready to play and um we had mentioned to elijah if he wanted to come out and jam with us so uh we, we had Elijah come out and play a number with us. He did like a blues tune with us. And, and Mark Stop was on the side down. of this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. See, Jeremy knows. Stop breaking <laughs> down. So uh, I think it's it might even be on tape somewhere. I don't know. I, I God, I would love to have that if it was. But uh, so Elijah left the stage. Mark was sitting on the side of the stage watching. We still didn't know we were going to jam with Mark for sure. We were kind of looking at Mark like, you want to you want to jam too and mark just kind of grabbed a guitar and walked out on stage with us and was just kind of like hey yeah let's jam so we played a couple songs with mark we played uh cortez the killer from neil young and then and that was about 15 20 minutes and then we thought we were done and then mark just turned around and said hey he turned around to me i don't even know why he looked at me and he said try alabama it's kind of funky. That's all he said. And, and so uh, he started playing Alabama and Todd, our bass player, took the bass off because he didn't know it and, and motioned to Muddy to get, get on the bass. 
So Muddy grabbed the bass, and it ended up being Mark and Muddy, me and Jeff, and we were doing Alabama for like another 15 minutes. And uh, literally, Mark walked off the stage and had to go. Like he had a, a he had a van waiting to take them to the airport to fly to Russia, I think. And uh, he he's leaving the stage, and Jeff goes, Mark Ford, lead guitar. Nice to meet you. And that was it. And about a month later, a month and a half later, we found ourselves in Chicago. And Mark came through with his solo band and I guess requested for us to open for him. So we, we show up at, at the gig in Chicago and Mark is uh, pretty, you know, usual kind of quiet Mark, but nice enough and happy to see us. And uh, he, he returns the favor and asks Jeff and Todd to come up and jam with him at that gig. And that weekend, he was playing in Green Bay, and he said, hey, why don't you guys come up to Green Bay and hang out and jam or whatever? So we, we drove up to Green Bay to uh, a casino in Wisconsin that, that they were playing that weekend. And that was a wild gig because it was like a 70s, 80s gig where Muddy had set it up, and the guys from L.A. Guns were flying in, and... Eric Dover from Jellyfish was there and they had this big jam session and uh and at the end of it Mark invited us up to his hotel room to listen to this record he had just produced by uh Ryan Bingham it wasn't even out yet but he had finished the Ryan Bingham album the first one and uh we went up to his hotel room and listened to it and hung out and by the end of the hang it was just kind of like, hey, if you ever see yourself coming to California and want to make a record, call me. We'll, we'll make a record. I got this great little studio in Long Beach. And, uh, of course, we were like, by the time we were driving home that night, we were thinking, we got to figure out how to get to California to make a record with Mark producing, right? And that, that's really the whole story. I don't mean to get so windy, but it's fun to tell for sure, you know? That's a, that's a great, yeah. great, great story. And then uh, you, you guys went on and you toured with them a little more after the record or. Yeah. Or so after the record came out, we did one tour in, in, in Europe behind it. And then the promoters in Europe wanted, and specifically in Spain, wanted us to come and bring him with us and have a tour where we opened the show and then took a break and then came out back in him as his band and uh, could have, would have, should have been really cool. But Mark at that point was really in a dark place, man. He was really drinking and doing a lot of drugs and uh, it was a really dark, crazy time, man. I, I, most of the shows he was pretty incoherent and not really able to do a whole lot. Like he, some of the shows, you guys wouldn't believe some of the things that went on. There were shows where he would literally start a tune, a random tune that we didn't rehearse or didn't know what he was going to play, and then get us into a groove and then take his guitar off and start dancing around the stage. Like, it was crazy, man. Like, really bad. We we may have had two shows that were passable that, like, were where he pulled it together or maybe he just, I don't know. But for the most part, he showed up. Um, 
he showed up at the first we rehearsed twice and then went out on like 17 gigs two in the states and 15 in europe and uh i was at the chicago show you were yeah and what do you remember about it jeremy well, I was probably in a pretty dark place myself. I was pretty <laughs> drunk. Uh, I was pretty drunk. Um, I remember, like, you know, at some point the fireworks had to start taking off. It was pretty subdued. Um, everybody was really subdued. You guys were subdued. Mark was subdued on stage. And it was almost like you guys were just trying to make it through the songs. Um, and it was kind of an unruly crowd. Uh, it was like a Friday night. At downtown House of Blues, um, and after the show, oh, I wound up talking to Mark, and uh, <laughs> he could tell. I, I don't know if darkness recognizes darkness, but uh, you know, he's like, well, <laughs> oh, "What yeah. are you doing?" It's like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "I oh, just, you know, trying to keep it together." I go, "No, I'm living the dream," you know, like in a sarcastic way. And he kind of looks at me. He goes, "Yeah, I was living the dream too." Then I had to wake up, you know, <laughs> like it was trying to be deep. And we're just two drunk people talking to each other. And uh, you and Todd were at the merch table signing merch and selling merch. And like, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of didn't seem like the camaraderie was there the way that it should have been at all. You know, no, so. I, it, it certainly wasn't. So here's the story on that first show. So he showed up at the rehearsal. With the Fuzz Machine record. Now, prior to the tour, he we asked what we were going to play so we could kind of get, get ready to play some of the tunes. And he said, I, I, I don't care. Whatever you guys want to play, you know, you pick them. You pick songs from my catalog. We'll play whatever you guys are comfortable playing. So we picked a bunch of songs from It's About Time and Weary and Wired and sent them to him. And he wrote back saying, cool, sounds good. So we learned these songs. We learned about 25 songs. And he showed up in Chicago with the Fuzz Machine record on a burned CD and said, and the gigs were starting in two days. And he said, man, I just want to play my new record. He had it on a burned CD. It wasn't even out yet. And he said, I just want to play my new record. So I don't know, man, let's just, we don't even have to rehearse. I'll just play this and. You guys could just follow me. I don't know. You know, like, so, so I crammed for two days. We tried to rehearse with him, but he was like completely wasted the whole time. And we just couldn't even make it through a song at rehearsal. He would play a couple of riffs and kind of sing, but he couldn't sing. And then it was just a nightmare. And so I, I crammed for two days and the day of the show, I said to him, of the first show, I said, hey, man, uh, the only song I don't really have, I, I think I'm not going to be good on off of Fuzz Machine, is that Next to Me song, because it's got that drum break in the middle, and it's kind of an off... Six, eight. Yeah, and it's kind of an off time, and it goes to 6-8, exactly, but the fill, it's like the fill is 4-4 four, four into like a 6-8 beat or something. I don't know. I couldn't grab it, and I go, man... If we could just hold off on that, I'll, I'll listen to it some more on the plane. We'll sound check it in Europe. Just don't play that song. All the rest of the songs I think I got. And he's like, yeah, and man, that's cool. He goes, yeah, man, that's cool. No problem, you know. So we wrote the set. He said, yeah, we're not going to, you know, we won't do that song. You're, you're cool. So we get in the, in the elevator to come down to, to play the gig. Well, Steepwater does our opening set. We went over great, played well. 
House of Blues uh, small room is sold out. People are pretty excited. It's the first time Mark's really been in Chicago since he was in the Black Crows. And uh, well, maybe not. No, because he we did that. We did do that one show at Double Door with him. But so people were excited to see Mark though. And uh, we get in the elevator to come down to to do Mark's set. And we're supposed to open up with Featherweight Dreamland. And uh, uh, he turns to me, he turns to me. And goes, hey man, uh, I don't want to open with Featherweight man. And and he's very very intoxicated. And I go, no. And he goes, no, man. Uh, I want to open with next to me. We're, we're going to open with next to me. I go, Mark, you know, I don't. I told you that's the one tune. I don't got that drum breakdown. And he goes, yeah. He goes, that's your problem, isn't it? I was like, I can't believe he's going to do this. So we walked out on stage. Nervous as all get out. And. Mark went right into next to me or next. Is it called next to me or next to you? Next to me. Yep. And, uh, and, uh, he went right into that song and, and, and of course we got to the drum break and I blew the drum break and Mark could hardly stand up. And, uh, at, then he, he did a bunch of songs in the set that we didn't have in the set that we didn't even talk about playing. He did uh, uh, Are You Experienced, Jimi Hendrix, which actually we played pretty well, but we hadn't ever played it as a band. And uh, when you're doing a when you're doing a sold out show, a ticketed sold out show to a crowd of people that know you you should probably be prepared. And he was not only unprepared, but very intoxicated. And what so, Jeremy, it's funny you said that the camaraderie wasn't there at Merch. When we got up to the uh, to the dressing room at the end of the gig, like like I I literally started screaming at the top of my lungs at him and had him up against the wall and was ready to let go. Like I was ready to fight and was screaming and it was a really bad scene in our in our dressing room. And uh, I mean I, I'm I'm sad to have to tell these stories. You know I mean Black Crows fans will see this. Who knows? Maybe Mark will hear it. Mark knows that it was a disaster, and he knows that he wasn't good to us in that way. And uh, um, anyway, it was really it got it was so bad the first night that I I was like, "Fuck you! I'm not going to I'm not going to Europe. Like, call call L.A. Find somebody. I'm not going. I'm not playing your dumb shows. I'm out." Like, and 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 that's sad because the dude was like my hero. He's like one of my favorite guitar players ever from my favorite band that shaped everything for me you know so uh that was it was a bit of a downer for sure and that set the tone for the whole for the whole thing one more quick mark ford story that uh in in uh, valencia spain about halfway through the tour my wife came over and, and d- did some shows at the time she was my fiance huge black crows fan also and uh we played this horrific show where Mark took his guitar off and danced around and pointed people out at the crowd and tried to say that they had a bad home life growing up and just crazy, like was acting. I don't know what was going on, but at the end of the night, it was like four o'clock in the morning. He was trying to get us to come to his room to, so he could save us, like read the Bible to us and save us. And, uh, 
like literally my wife and I were running away from him, like trying to get in our hotel room and lock the door and get away from him. And we, we, we were like, we, we shut the door, locked it, fell back on the bed. And we're like, would you have ever imagined that you'd be in a foreign country at four o'clock in the morning, trying to get away from Mark Ford? Like we were like, but he was completely wasted and was on his God kick. And that wasn't the first time on that tour. There was some time, there was another time backstage. He was trying to make us all proclaim our love for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, while he was like slugging a bottle of tequila or vodka or whatever. It, dude, it was insane. And I, heard, I, I can't heard even one, believe. I heard one recording where he uh, was like uh, talking, he's like, and Joe Winter's on the drums. God put me here to play music with him or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, man. Oh yeah. Like here's another story. We're, we're in, uh, man, we're in Madrid and he's very intoxicated again. As you, he has, I don't think he slept for about three days. He's wasted. And th- we're at this club called El Sol, which means the sun. And there's a El Sol banner behind the stage. Like if you're looking at the, like the stage from the audience, it says El Sol. So at sound check, he tells Steve, our manager, man, go get the club owner. I want this taken down. Like this club has been there for decades. The sign is probably, this banner has been hanging there forever. He's like, I want this banner taken down you know so so steve steve goes to get the lady who owns the club who speaks no english and he's like uh ma'am mark ford no no sign no banner mark ford wants banner no no banner take banner away like and she comes out she's trying to talk to him like tell him no we're not taking the banner down and he's like saying if you don't take the banner down i'm leaving he goes because i didn't come here to play for the sun he goes i i came here to play for joe and he's like pointing at me like i'm like what 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 are you talking about dude like it was just insane. Yeah. Like he had this thing that he thought that like God brought he, he, he and I together and, and it was just, you know, and, and since then the times that I've seen him and hung out with him, he definitely knows that like, it was a really dark, it was a really bad time and a bad thing for all of us. But I just can't believe that someone who is so heralded and who is such a talent, who's the king of all tone and, is such a heralded guitar player for such a legendary band and time period in that band's history would allow something like that. I'm so glad that like, I shouldn't even be here blowing the whistle. I mean, I'm sure like, I'm sure, you know, whoever sees this, whatever, hears this, whatever, but I don't even like to pay like point attention to it because I don't want to remember Mark like that. You know, like I want to remember, America or bust who were the, the 15 shows that I saw, or I want to remember, uh, you know, meeting, meeting Jeff at a three snakes show or, um, you know, or going to the Midtown music fest in Atlanta in 95 or 96, whatever year that was to, to see the crows with Mark. And, uh, you know, I just want to remember the good times and, and even, even the solo music, like I want to remember you know, 
where he and Wired to or where he was together, where he was sober, the band was smoking, and he he was playing great tunes. And uh, that was just a really dark time, boys. And Jeremy, you know a lot about this already. I'm sure we've had private conversations about a lot of this stuff as well, you know. Yeah, and uh, you know, and and to even go a little bit further, it's kind of public knowledge now too that Mark doesn't do well when he's away from home for long periods. You know, I think Gorman's book touched on that. Um, at the end of the Black Crows run in '06, he was kind of not doing great. Uh, his wife and him were traveling separate from the rest of the band, um, and then at, even at the end of Magpie, like there was some some issues at the end of magpie. So, I mean, it's not, it's not news. It's just probably going to be shocking for some people to hear that in that kind of detail. Yeah. And again, I, I will say this, a, I don't, you, you never regret it because you got to play with one of your favorite musicians ever. And in the studio, we certainly learned a lot from him about tone and about parts like, like, what parts to play and restraining from unnecessary fills. And we learned a lot about playing um, deliberately. He's a big, he's big on play deliberate parts that you mean and, you know, get rid of all the, you know, excess stuff. Don't, don't play it unless you mean it and it needs to be there. Only play what you, what you have to, to make the song sound good. And in that way, he is a genius in the studio. So, we all certainly learned a lot from him as musicians and there's definitely not regret there, but um, it, it definitely was sad to have to go through it, I guess, for the touring part, the touring aspect of it. I, I had heard rumblings that there were some issues at the end of Magpie, but I really didn't want to believe it because, um, you know, I love Magpie and I love the idea of him and Rich having something together that like something real like like that was about the music and it was that the fans could really I mean I thought that was just a great band like I like like their original music a lot like I really like their records I wasn't huge on them I wasn't that excited about going to hear them play Black Crow songs but I loved the songs that they put out as a band yeah on high high water one and two yeah absolutely great records um Getting back to like when you talked about being with him in the studio, I think waiting to be offended has a big Mark Ford stamp on it. For sure. And that song, it's on, on our Grace and Melody record. Um, that song was completely different before Mark got his hands on it. Like he actually, I think, ended up with writing credit on that one and maybe one or two other ones because he totally dismantled the riff and made it more like a Neil Young riff and, and, put the jam in there there's a big long guitar jam between him and jeff that's really nice and um you're right jeremy for sure he he put his stamp on that and at least a few others on that record and uh that was fun like that was great to be able to dissect and as much as he kind of busted my balls in the studio you know i there again is like he was kind of hard to work with but in a productive way there he the only thing that was going on there was that he was doing some Adderall that was making him really focused he wasn't drinking or anything like it was a prescription and it was really making him focus so like he could zoom in on a guitar part or a tone or a beat or a tempo or whatever he could really like really like 
focus in on it and like say no like you know we need to slow that down by a few beats per minute or we need to you know we need to find one time he was working on tone in the studio he was plugging into this amp and these pedals and he was switching out pedals and switching out for like two hours one night on like a saturday night at like 10 o'clock i'm sitting by him and it was just him and he was flipping out pedals and amps and guitars and all this stuff and i'm like dude what are you what are you doing you know like what are you looking for they all sound good and he's like man i'm trying to get some tone it's like i'm just trying to find some tone for church tomorrow he had church service on sunday that he was playing in for a couple hours before our session was resuming and he was like i'm going i'm i'm popping by church to play in the band i'm trying to find find tone and i'm like dude you've been you've been doing this for like two hours like they all sound good bro like he was so like laser focused on finding certain sounds our whole two weeks we were out there that uh that was cool in some ways. In some ways, it was a little over the top. But, man, he's something. He definitely is. He's one of a kind, and he's the, the king tone, and he's made some amazing music, both with the Black Crows and on his own and Magpie Salute. And for sure, he'll always be high in, on my list, even with having to deal with his addictions. Um, yeah, <laughs> crazy stuff for sure. Anyway. So Fun to talk what's about. it like working with Mark as opposed to say Colin or, or your brother? Um, in the studio, I don't know. I'm like I said, maybe he, he was a little more particular about like every part being what he wanted. Like he was writing bass parts. He was writing guitar parts. He was trying to get certain leads out of Jeff. He was trying to, he was certainly like, trying to break me apart like way less fills way less symbols way less everything he just wanted i remember at one time he came in the studio we were recording a song i think lord knows and he was like do you know that song you don't know how it feels by tom petty and i'm like yeah and he's like what's the drum beat and i'm like boom boom crack boom boom crack boom boom crack boom it's like, yeah, that's the drum beat, the whole song. And I'm like, yeah, he's like, that's all I want you to do. Boom, boom, crack. Boom. He's like, that's it. I don't want you to do anything. That's it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And and I could dig that. Like, I was already a pretty, like, sparse drummer. But he really, really didn't want any fills. And what you end up learning from that is that when you, when you, when you play real concise parts and really deliberate drum parts and not a lot of cymbals, it makes the guitars and the vocals really jump out and really pop and really like have more impact. And he, he was, you know, he was trying to make a guitar record and I get it, but with my brother or Colin, Colin's more about sounds, but letting you kind of play what you want to play, but he's really into sounds. And my brother strips it. My brother's even more like, man, I'm looking at pro tools. Like, like a tape recorder. Like I, I'm hitting record and I hope that I got the mics in the right place in the room and around the amps to make it sound good because I want to record you guys playing and I want to play who you are. And I'm hoping that at the end of the day, we've got a mix that we, we don't have to do a whole lot. So 
my bro is definitely old, old, old school. If he could, he would just, he would just hook up, you know, reel the reel and, you know, just like totally record everything live. But what's great about what my brother is that he does have great microphones, man. Like he spent a lot of money on old, like ribbon mics, tube mics, and a blue mouse on my kick drum and all these crazy microphones that I, you know, I don't even know, but he studied up on what would be best to record what amps with and, and, and brought in a lot of great microphones and, and, uh, but yeah, Mark was all about deliberate parts, laser focused on tone and, um, ripping everybody, taking everyone out of their comfort zone, I think. And, and, uh, kind of like deconstructing and putting it back together the way he wanted it to sound. A lot of people love that record, man, you know, and it's funny when we recorded it, Grace and Melody, I hated it. And we listened to it recently, Angela, my wife and I did during this quarantine on vinyl. And we were both like, wow, this sounds great. Right. It's fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It's a cool, it's a cool angle on our, on our music for sure. So anyway, I was just listening to that last night. And when you mentioned, uh, waiting to be offended, I heard that Neil, Neil Young influence as well. Yeah, for sure. That was probably the first time that Steepwater played anything. Well, we had, we had a song on the record before that called A Lot of Love Around that kind of had a Neil Young vibe to it. But we definitely knew where Mark was coming from, and it made us want to play like stuff in more of a, a crazy horse vein, too, I think. I think it made us all get more into Neil at that point in our lives. Well, you know, uh, when it comes to the, you know, substance abuse, always a precautionary tale. You know, bad stereotype that musicians are almost expected to be like that. And as as one who's in recovery myself, I hope uh, Mark will end up and stay in a good place. You know, it's sad to think that that may have affected Meg by salute. But, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, start rumors or whatever or <laughs> speculate. Well, but. It's, it's not even that. It's, you know. Uh, everybody has to make their own choices in life. And there's probably a time in life where things like that work for you. And then after a while it starts working against you. And I know uh, for me in my life there, it, it got to a point where it was like, I was, it was working against me. Um, and uh, you know, so everybody has to make their own choices. So. Yeah. That's very well put, Jeremy. I, I, I agree with that a hundred percent, you know, at a certain point in your life, whether it's age or, um, whatever situation you're in financially or otherwise, whatever, sometimes it works for you and you can just roll with it. And other times it works against you. And Absolutely. certainly in 2009 or 10, when we were on tour with Mark Ford, it was working against all of us and it's sad, but uh, you know, at the same time, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's still, still an honor. I still learned a lot. I still can take it for what it is, but it was definitely the most difficult month of playing and being on tour possibly that I can remember. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd like to ask you about some other people that you've toured with, gigs that you've done. I know you've uh, played some shows with Government Mule, and I was also very interested in uh, you. You got you played the uh, Give Me Three Steps uh, cruise with Skinnerd in 2007, and also Blackberry Smoke was on on that gig. And I'm absolutely fanatical about them. I mean, I think they've got that 92 through 97 Crows vibe. 
and you got to play with them early on. And of course, Jeremy has been hearing them early on. So we can just talk a little they, bit about playing. They played with, with uh, they played some shows of Blackberry Smoke here in Missouri about three years ago, too, three or four years ago. We did. So we get to talk a little bit about Government Mule, about Blackberry Smoke, and those guys as your contemporaries. Yep. Once again, we we met Government Mule. We wound up on a show. In fact, the day before we met Mark Ford, we played with with Government Mule and John Mayall and the Bluesbreakers at a uh, festival in Barcelona at the Pablo Espanol, beautiful outdoor venue that um, is Bob Dylan's favorite venue in Europe, actually. And uh, so we were the opening act, and then Mule was second, and John Mayall was a headliner. And Warren liked us, and Warren said, Hey man, like when we get back to the States, when I can see that it works, I'd like to call you guys to open some shows for us and, and hit the road, you know? So it took a little while. It took a couple of years, but Warren called us and asked us to go out and play a few weeks as an opening act for government mule here in the States. And, uh, can't say enough professional organization through and through. That's when Brian Farmer was still around uh, the guitar tech for, for Warren and Farmer was so nice to us and helped helped tune Jeff Jeff's guitars. We were a three piece at the time and he helped. We didn't have any guitar techs or anything and he helped tech some guitars and uh, their sound people ran sound for us. Uh, Slim was their front of house sound guy who also worked for the Allman Brothers band as kind of a legendary dude and he really loved mixing us every night. And uh, they even, if you go on YouTube and put in Government Mule and Steepwater Band, they even brought Jeff out a couple of nights to jam. And one night they brought Jeff and Todd out to jam. And, that was uh, in Lawrence, Kansas. I was there at the Granada and they played Politician. And at the end of the song, uh, Warren goes, uh, Todd Bowser on the bass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, exactly. That, that was yeah. it. I, and, I drove um, out for that one. Yeah, that was a that was a great little trip being able to play with those guys for a couple of weeks, and they were great. And every night, Warren would come to our dressing room, knock on the door, and ask the same questions: "You guys okay?" Are you comfortable up on stage? You got a mix. You guys have you eaten? You got did you were you fed? Everybody got what they need. All right, cool. Have a great show. Every night he would come and say hello and, and ask us the same stuff. And uh super cool. Uncle Warren rules. How how he remains to be as graceful as he is with as many people that he spends time with and listens to night gig to gig in the gig, outside the gig, by the bus. That guy is he he sets the bar for being good and 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 having grace and style. I mean, he is literally the coolest. And I just saw those guys in September, they were in Chicago, and it's funny, they were at the Riviera and Blackberry Smoke was at the House of Blues the same night, just this past September of 19. And so Jeff our singer went to Blackberry Smoke and uh and I went to Government Mule, and and Matt left me passes. I texted him in between sets, and I go, hey, man, can we say hi after the show? And he's like, no, you can say hi right now. Get back here. So I, I literally just went right in backstage and found Matt and found the guys and hung out. And 
Warren asked me, where's Jeff? And I said, uh, Jeff is at the House of Blues with Blackberry Smoke. They're in town tonight, too. And, and Warren said, yeah, give him shit that, that, he didn't, that he went to see Blackberry and didn't come see me, you know. And uh, <laughs> apparently, Charlie Starr asked Jeff, where's Joe? And, uh, and, and Joe said he's across town hanging out with Warren and the mule. And, and, uh, and Charlie said, man, make sure you give him shit that he didn't come here to our show. So <laughs> they were both saying the same thing. And, and uh, pretty cool to see those guys. But, yeah, Blackberry Smoke, I, quick, quick thing about them. They did play on the Skinnered Cruise in 2006, I want to say. It might have been five or six. And... Uh, Blackberry Smoke was a four-piece, didn't have their keyboard player yet. Um, they were from Atlanta. We had been hearing so much about them. And I hit it off with Britt, and we had exchanged phone numbers. And uh, as things started to happen for them, I, whenever they would come through town with ZZ Top or uh, whoever they would be on the road with, um, I would call Britt, and he would always hook me up, and I'd go hang out with them. So I remained tight with them. I I'd see them on CMT or, I, you know, on, on television, and I would text Britt and be like, you're on TV, you prick, you know, like, and, and you know, I hope you guys are good. And then he, he, we just always stayed buddies, you know, we'd always text each other. And same thing with that. It's like, as soon as they got in a position where they could get us some gigs, they did, you know. I mean, they, they did a lot of years where they were the opening act, where, where they were out on the road with opening for whoever and uh whenever it came time that he they could get us some shows they did and and uh i imagine that may happen again at some point although you know we're just a little band from chicago a little independent band from chicago i know they got a million big agents and big people from nashville that are you know ringing their phone and 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 putting cds on their putting putting bugs in their ear and sending them bands that they probably want to get opening slots i'm sure they got people coming at them from all angles but we're here man we're we're definitely whenever gigs resume it'd be great to play with either of those bands again because that's that's the scene you know jeremy you, you know that's the scene that we that we live for that we not only as musicians but as fans and it's the whole scene that shaped everything for the last 20 years and and brian i agree with you uh if you see a few Blackberry Smoke shows, they definitely, they, there's something about it that does kind of fall in that, like the way that their sets kind of progress and the journey that they take you on. Maybe a little more country than the Crows ever got, but still in, in the jam sense, they do take you on the same kind of journey that the 90s Crows did, I, I think. And, and I really enjoyed their last couple of records a lot, for sure. Well, just the swagger, swagger that they have and how powerful they are on stage and they just come out and when you when they're done it's like your face is melted off and that's the way it was <laughs> 92 97 with the crows and afterwards as well and i always so said that got, the song uh shaking hands with the holy ghost sounds like a shake your money maker tune with the yep. spider and the sugar bowl sugar bowl blues riff over the top of it you know so. <laughs> oh, totally and did you know that the legend is that Chris Robinson actually named their band. Yeah. And he told those guys, you should call your band Blackberry Smoke. And that's why they yep. did, supposedly. Yep, absolutely. That was, uh, that was when Britt and uh, Richard still worked for them down in Atlanta. 
Oh, they those guys work for the Crows, huh? Yep. Yeah. Here, they, here's uh, here's a story I got. Uh, um, Richard supposedly was uh, someone that would help get Mark his uh, his drugs back in the nineties. <laughs> apparently. See, and last week in the last week's podcast, uh, Brian asked me what they did, and I was like, "Well, you know, they did some camera work, and they did, you know, went and got stuff, and did whatever needed to be done while you know a man's making a record, really." So. Well, we have uh, more uh, uh, steep water driving wheel shows. I hope, God, I so, hope so. You know? Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Yeah, that would be that would be uh, ideal. You know, hopefully we've got more shows in the future coming up soon. But who knows with the pandemic and the way everything's going, you know. But, uh, um, yeah, that, that would be ideal. I love those guys. I love playing with them. I love jamming with them. Every time I've got to get up and jam with Joe, it's like the pocket is a mile wide. Right on. Thank you, bro. Yeah, I, I love jamming with you too, man. Um, it's always fun. It always feels good. And I tell you that too. Same same thing, man. You're you're right in that pocket as well, so it's easy to play with you. And uh, you're gonna, you, I can't wait for you to see. I don't think you've seen us with Joe Bishop on bass, have you? Have, I have not. No. I can't wait for you to even meet him because he's just such a cool dude, man. Like you're, it's it's unbelievable how that all fell into place. The guy was a fan of ours, and he's another guy. He's a Crows fan. I would run into him at like uh, at like CRB shows or Rich Robinson solo shows and uh, was a fan of our band. His first time he saw us was we played with government mule and Jackie green at house of blues in Chicago. And he said at the time he was, uh, you know, like raising a family. He was playing in the church band. His dad was a pastor and he played in the church band for like 25 years. And uh, at the time, he said it it really influenced him to want to play rock and roll again and be in a band and try to start going for it. Next thing you know, he was playing around South Bend, Indiana, his hometown, playing in rock bands, playing in cover bands, playing in bands. And he said that like he literally would have like dreams about playing with Steepwater. And I I just kind of kept in touch with him, kind of watched him grow as a musician over the years. And when I when I when Todd was leaving us and I called him, he was so excited to be like he said, I can't even believe I'm on the phone with you right now. And uh, he's just a cool cat. He's into all the same music we're into. And he's maybe a little smoother than Todd. He's got like a little more like maybe a little more duck done and a little less Jack Bruce or something about him, you know, a little less fuzz, a little more smooth, a little more pocket. But man, he's the coolest to be around and Jeremy, you and him are going to get along great. I can't wait for you to meet him. Awesome. I can't wait either. And hopefully sooner rather than later. Well, I just got one little anecdote left here. You know, we're going on about an hour here. So I'm really, I got an anecdote here. And I, when I was messaging with you, Joe, uh, when I first heard about you guys, it was probably from a crow's message board. You know, they're always the glue in all this. They always keep coming up as, as you know, we find about bands and, and whatnot. But uh, back in 01, and I was, like, emailing you guys as a fan just to let you know and interested in the band. But uh, it was after I'd been in Chicago at the, the uh, as Jeremy says, the Croasis tour. And you guys had told me that day at your house, I guess, known as uh, Little Pink, you guys had a big barbecue that day. 
before that show. Yeah. And that's I, I just remember that story, and that's a great story. Yeah, that was I think the uh, wasn't that the brothers the uh, what's it called the brotherly love tour brotherly for the Oasis. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and we had a big party. We all lived in a band house from 99 to 2005, and um, all our life was basically writing, rehearsing, playing gigs, and going to going to concerts and being out in the scene. And so that day we had a big barbecue and had like, you know, 20, 30 people at the house, and, and then we all just caravanned over there and just took the party to the Crow Show there at Tinley Park, and uh, those were really... Fun times, man. That was like when we were getting our first record deal and um, and just formative years, you know, much. I want to say when we were young, but we were already, you know, like mid 20s. But um, definitely learning a lot about music and going to a ton of shows. I, I've been I don't know about you. I know Jeremy's been to a ton. I don't know if I've been to 100 Black Crow shows, but I bet I should maybe count them during this pandemic, during this downtime and try to get an actual list together, which I don't officially have, but I bet I've been to around between 75 and a hundred shows. I bet. How about you guys? I've only got 18. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I've, Jeremy, I've, you know, I hit my hundred. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've been to a hundred shows, hundred black crow shows. Yeah, for wow. sure. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I think my wife, Angela has, has been to around that as well. And, and she's got yeah. more than us. She's got us beat. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And you know, the whole, the whole scene, it like intertwines. I mean, I wouldn't be married to my wife. If it wasn't for the black crows and I wouldn't be in my band and I wouldn't, uh, you know, and I wouldn't have half the friends that I have. And I, I, I wouldn't be half the musician I am. And it really, it runs, that's what gets me so upset is like everyone has their opinion. And when, when the whole, when the, when the brothers were fighting and, and everyone had their opinion and, and even with now them getting together, but not, not bringing any of the original members of the old, the classic members back. It's like, it means so much to so many people on so many levels. And, uh, you, you can only attest from your own experience, but for me, it literally shaped my entire adult life from the time i was 20 well they came out in what 90 i was 20 years old 20 19 years old when they came out and from then until now they pretty much shaped my entire adult life and everything that i do and 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 that's pretty important you know and and so you could you'd think people everyone got all worked up over the years whether it was on message boards or social media or whatever it is, but rightfully so in some ways, you know, I mean, for me personally, now I, I wasn't going to go to the shake your money maker shows uh, this summer because I wasn't that interested in seeing the two brothers with, especially without Steve Gorman. I really think there's a certain, just like what Jeremy said about a pocket and a drummer in a band. I feel like there's a certain pocket and a certain energy that happens with Gorman Gorman for strength, you know, and, and Absolutely. I feel like it could have gotten anybody to play guitar, whether it was Jackie, whether it was Luther, whether it was, you could even go as far as Paul Stacy or even oddly freed. If you really wanted to, you, you could have filled it in. And I think that, um, I think that, uh, um, 
Sven on base would have been great. He was there for so long, and he was such a part of their history, although it would have been really neat to see him get Johnny and Steve, especially just for this tour. That would have been great. And 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 sadly, Ed has passed away, so whoever they would have gotten to play keyboards, I'm sure, would have been sufficient. But for them to go out without Steve Gorman, for me, is sacrilegious, and I'm just out. I'm, I don't wish anybody you know, not to go and enjoy it. I'm not saying don't go and have fun and listen to the tunes. It's still Chris and Rich. It still would have been fine and great, but not how I want to remember it. And uh, how do you guys, real quick, before we wrap this up, how do you guys feel about that? I'm in the same boat as you, you know? I mean, it's just like, you know, Gorman to me is like, you know, Bonham and Zeppelin or, or Charlie Watts and the Stones. I mean, can you imagine Charlie Watts, you know, wants to retire and those guys going out without him? That would never happen. You know, Zeppelin no. done it. And it's just like, there's this, I'm just, I feel if I went, I'd be going more as a, as a critic than a fan. And I just, you know, that's not my Black Crows. So I'm just, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm out too. I mean, yeah. we saw what happened the last time they tried to do it without Gorman um, with Bill DeBrow. <laughs> Bill's a fine drummer, but he's not the best drummer for the Black Crows at all. You know, Steve Gorman is. Um so, like, I'm inclined to agree. And, and like you, Joe, you know, my band's named after a line in a Black Crows song. Um, without the Black Crows, my daughter wouldn't exist. Um, wow. So, it, it, you know, the the ties run deep. Um, and, you know, it may just be a band to some people, but it, it, the music means a lot to me. And uh, to, to quote Mr. Chris Robinson, the music knows, you know. Yep. Yep, that's right on the money. It sure does. So uh, sounds like, sounds like a good thing to end on. And uh, so, Joe, we're uh, really grateful for you to be coming on and being our very first guest on the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast. We hope we can talk to you again sometime. It's been a blast and just really grateful. So, thank you, Joe, for coming on. Thank you guys. That's a really yeah. cool thing you guys are doing. And uh, I appreciate you guys making me part of the very first beginnings of it all. And good luck with it. Have fun. And, and you never know where it's going to go or who's going to show up next. Maybe Mark, maybe Mark Ford will want to get on it and, and uh, give his side of things. <laughs> you never Joe, know. I love you. I love Angela. Tell her I said, hey, you guys be safe and hopefully I'll see you soon. All right, guys. Yeah, definitely. Let's uh, keep in touch and and good luck with this. All right. We'll see you all later, guys. All right. Take care. Thanks again for Joe for a great interview on the podcast. That was absolutely amazing. Uh, Before we go, Jeremy and I have to give a couple shout outs to some people. So um, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Scott K of BMF effects. Um, you know, while we're talking about, you know, the Steepwater band, Mark Ford, Blackberry Smoke, my band, Driving Wheel, we all use BMF effects. They're handmade uh, boutique pedals, Southern California. Scott K is the man. Um, if you need wah-wah, distortion, overdrive, fuzz, the coolest chorus pedal I've ever heard, the Liquid Sky BMF chorus. I'm going to buy one here real soon. Since I scraped the money together. Um, I can't say enough good things about Scott K, BMF effects. If you're into the tones that you're hearing from Mark Ford, Mark Ford has his own pedal made by BMF. It's called the Mark F and Ford. 
So, and which is a fuzz and an overdrive in one. Um, so, you know, hopefully I'll be able to get one of those too. Not that I can play like Mark Ford because I can't, I don't think anybody can, but it would be cool to try. Right. <laughs> you are very, very, very correct. I guess, uh, thanks myself. I want to thank my beautiful wife, Kathy, for being so supportive, uh, with this whole podcast thing and hanging in there with me for the, all the technical issues. So, babe, I love you. I just want to thank you. Kathy, you rock. Thanks for joining us again on the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast. The Steepwater Band is going to play us out with the title track from their new record, Turn of the Wheel. But before then, remember, Southern Rock is reverent and blues is blood. We'll see you next time.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 